this will be the largest civil project in Montana history. And when it's in the ground and you drive by it, unless you're flying over it with a airplane or helicopter, you won't even know anything's there. Gonna take a ride, a holiday, to fall away. Damn, it feels good to drive all the way in every lane. Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Montana Power Podcast. My name is Ryan Kissinger, and joining me on the phone are Max Smith and Dan Carlino, uh, who's uh, running for the Public Service Commission. Um, just introduce the interview we did it actually a couple of months ago with Carl Borkfist, uh, who's actually working to develop a water battery in the Gordon Butte. Uh, this would do a great deal uh, in um, pushing us towards a more renewable future. Uh, we had a really interesting interview, and we also experienced uh, s- uh, some technical difficulties. Um, we were, uh, well, Max was on the on the board, and Dan and I were actually calling in via Facebook Messenger along with Carl <laughs> on the phone. And uh, if you happen to be listening to this on, like, really high-end uh, headphones. Uh, you might actually uh, hear Dan uh, drinking his coffee. Um, and then at a certain point, <laughs> I actually just dropped out of the call because I was on a 15-minute break from work. Anyways, uh, that's the background. Do you guys want to pipe in? Oh, yeah. The, I I don't have a whole lot of commentary on the actual interview. Uh, cue it up, baby. But, uh, so, so I won't talk about that. But um, I just wanted to give another quick plug. Um, you know, uh, take this time. You have the ability to pause. You, dear listener, have the ability to pause the audio right now. Yeah, did you know that? Uh, you can fit, click play, pause, skip ahead 15 seconds. All okay. that is available to you. I'm encouraging you to hit pause right now. Okay, just one second. I'm writing this down. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, step one, pause. Step two, um, dear listener, um, you know, don't don't do this step for for Dan Carlino, the the PSC candidate. Do it for the interviewee Carl um, and the future of his project. Share the crap out of this, man. Uh, uh, share it with somebody you think that would be interested in this particular topic, or you know, share it with somebody that um, believes that uh, renewables are unfeasible and. They they, they, they uh, make up a small percentage of the of the power uh, generation in this country uh, for a reason. You know, share it with somebody that uh, that you want to influence, um, and and a Montana citizen at that, so maybe they could vote for Dan in the end. All right, that's my plug. Awesome, well said. And I just want to uh, explain again: we're we're actually doing the the Facebook Messenger setup once again, so our audio on uh, on Max and Dan's and isn't the best. We're we're still doing our COVID nineteen quarantine. Uh, Max is, I assume, on his farm, and uh, Dan's somewhere in Missoula, and I'm here in Hamilton, Montana. Uh, Dan, did you have anything to add before we start the interview? Um, no, it's it's been an interesting time campaigning. Uh, during this pandemic. Uh, It's probably an election cycle that there's never been one like this before. And, you know, this podcast is a really interesting way to, to give listeners at home the the time to really dive deep into these issues. And I particularly really like 
Carl's project because this is a solution to uh, battery storage um, for to get us off of fossil fuels. That this uh, one hydro pump storage project literally has the same amount of storage as two of their natural gas plants that Northwestern Energy is proposing out of their four to double their portfolio. So wow. this is a real solution on the table to get us 100% renewable energy. So I'm super excited that we got Carl on here. And Dan's not just entertaining this whole idea, this project by himself. You know, he's sharing it uh, with people that previously have no concept of it. And that's, that's what the job of a leader, I think, is. And, uh, and um, so it, it's pretty impressive that this, uh, this man, Carl, sat down with us and, uh, and took the time out. I think at the end he actually mentions that uh, he's bopping on to a meeting with the governor <laughs> of Montana um so we were honored to to interview him mm-hmm. and to share this with you and um and hope that uh, you pass up pass it on oh, well said max and i guess without further ado we'll uh, start the interview carl borquist is joining us today yeah he ha- he's the founding partner of absaroka energy he has a long-term experience in law capital markets uh, finance and renewable energy development and he's He's a presenter, actually, uh, and a thought leader on infrastructure development, grid innovation, and energy policy. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Public Administration from California State University, and also a law degree from the University of San Francisco. He's here today to talk about a really interesting proposal that he has before our monopoly utility in, in Montana, Northwestern Energy. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the proposals out there for other energy companies in the region, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Great. And also on the call today are Daniel Carlino and Ryan Kissinger. Yeah, thanks, Max. Um, my name is Daniel Carlino. Uh, I've been uh, coordinate the Sunrise Movement Hub in Missoula, and I've been working on stopping climate change the past few years, and I'm currently running for the Public Service Commission in District 4, um, up to Libby and down to Hamilton. And, you know, it's just great to have have this, I've been really excited about this Gordon Butte project because it shows a good way to get a large amount of renewable energy storage with current technologies instead of having to wait for better batteries. So this is this is awesome. I'm glad that this is going on here. Well, I'm honored to be awesome. here. I'm happy and re- there's one other person on the call though too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. My name is Ryan Kissinger. Uh, I'm a medical illustrator uh, from uh, originally from Vancouver, Canada, and. Uh, my involvement is more as uh, like a, I guess, a concerned citizen. And also I had the podcasting equipment and uh, I'm allowing <laughs> these guys to use it. So anyways, all right. That's my story. Yeah. All right. Well, I will try to be entertaining and informative and I am ready for your questions. Well, let's get into it. My, my very limited understanding of the grid is that, um, is that there are generation facilities scattered around our country, uh, you know, gas-fired plants, hydroelectric plants, wind, tur- uh, wind farms, and uh, they're generating electricity using turbines and sending those electrons onto the grid, on, uh, onto uh, uh, cables, you know, that uh, get transmitted across the state, you know, crisscrossing around the countryside, and, and uh, that sends power to people's homes, and they use appliances, and uh, meters track usage. Um, can, can you tell us about uh, your battery project and what advantages that it has for our energy grid? Yes, I can. So, so listen, it, um, 
let me have you think of the grid like a set of pipes. And some of the pipes are big and some of the pipes are small and those pipes end up, um, you know, stopping at lights and heaters and dryers and electric ranges and, um, you know, whatever else uh, we're using those electrons to power our world with. And then there are power plants that are pushing electrons on. But if we think of it like water instead of electricity, I think it gets a little, a little simpler to think about. The pressure of the electrons that are coming onto the grid and the, the negative pressure that's created when they're pulled off, that has to sort of stay in balance. And when we burn coal or gas, it was easier to turn that power generation on and have it hit a set point um, and manage it uh, fairly easily. The problem with wind and solar is that it trips on and off very quickly. And somewhere, uh, the grid operator for the area uh, that they're trying to manage has to move something to counterbalance the generation coming in and the generation coming off. And that occurs um, every four seconds. Uh, so Northwestern Energy, for example, uh, does this every four seconds. Uh, they do it with by moving up and down some of their uh, generation plants, one gas plant in particular uh, in Anaconda. Um, this is pretty dramatic uh, at some parts of the grid. In California right now, the grid operator is seeing three to 5,000 megawatt moves in less than 10 minutes. And to give you some perspective, that would be like a city of 5 million people suddenly turning everything on or turning everything off. And they have to counterbalance that with assets that they can turn on and off. If they don't do that, if they're not able to do that successfully, the, the danger is that the system starts tripping off. And it, it, to give you a sense of how sensitive the system is, in 2003, literally a tree branch fell into a substation in Ohio. And because of uh, some issues in the grid at that moment, it ended up cascading uh, uh, outages into Toronto and New York City. And if you've ever seen a there are pictures of New York City in 2003 at this event where it's black. Uh, there's no power going into the city. Lots of people lost their lives. It was a multi-billion dollar event. Uh, and so FERC and uh, NERC, which are uh, federal agencies uh, managing the grid, uh, get very, very uh, obviously uh, sensitive about how utilities and balancing areas do this uh, in order to try to avoid those kinds of problems. So renewable energy, great in the sense that it's very cheap and the fuel source is free and they're clean. Mm -hmm. But but you you got to have these large, fast-acting, flexible capacity batteries and um, uh, plants um, available to, to shock absorb the generation tripping on and off very quickly. Um, so in the world, uh, batteries are um, relatively inexpensive. They're easy to deploy, but they 
tend to last only about five to 10 years and then you have to replace them. Um, and, uh, so the, the, the benefit of pump storage is this is a hundred year asset. It never degrades. Um, just to give you some perspective, we calculated what it would cost using Tesla batteries to replicate what we're doing at Gordon Butte. Uh, and it would take about a billion six of Tesla batteries to replicate the storage capacity of Gordon Butte. And of course, in five to 10 years, you'd have to completely replace that. Um, the benefit of Gordon Butte is it never degrades. It doesn't really wear out. Our first major maintenance interval on Gordon Butte is estimated at year 27, where, when the turbines uh, in the uh, pumps and generators, the blades essentially, metal blades, would have to be replaced um, uh, because they'll get, over time, they'll get pitted and sort of worn out. So there's a long-winded answer for that pretty simple question that you asked. Uh, hopefully that's what you were ang angling for. Definitely, yeah. Thanks for your discussion on the grid as, as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Dan, uh, Dan wanted you to uh, talk about the engineering um, behind uh, the Gordon Butte project, what makes it, and, and why it, it currently isn't being embraced by the the, uh, the current utility, uh, or by Northwestern Energy. Yeah, so um, there's lots of pump storage that was put into the ground 30 or 40 or more uh, years ago, and this equipment was relatively simplistic. Um, it really only did a mode, what we would call a mode change uh, twice a day. So at night, the equipment would be shut down, the plant would be dewatered. So you'd, you'd close the valves and take all the pressure out of the equipment, and then you'd reverse it to pump and push water to the upper reservoir. And then that would happen all night. And then in the morning, you would stop, dewater the machine, reverse it, and then generate uh, through the day. And those simplistic plants were uh, often put in a place to capture the energy from really large coal plants and in particular nuclear plants, which are uh, both difficult to shut down. And so rather than waste the energy at night, uh, this would give you an ability to store the energy and then bring it out during the day when people could use it. The world that we're walking, if you think about the explanation I gave about the grid um, and that pump storage now is really uh, about its, its primary uh, job and task is to be that very capable asset that can move up and down very quickly to shock absorb variations in load and generation to keep the, the system healthy the equipment has to be able to move very quickly and the mode change of the old equipment would take 30 minutes to accomplish to shut it down dewater it switch it uh, would take uh, a very long time the equipment set that we're putting into gordon butte which has been uh, used in europe but not used in north america um, is able to pump and generate at the, at the same time. And what that does is it allows us in seconds to move from pumping to generating. And if you think about, you know, wind tripping on and off, uh, variations in the grid, 
that speed is very important. Um, in throughout the, it's probably important to realize that the Western half of the United States is really one electrical system, um, called the Western interconnect. And so everything that's happening in New Mexico and California and Washington and Arizona, all of that is affecting all of the, that behavior affects everybody else because all of these pipes, which are the wires are all connected. Um, in California right now, there's so much solar uh, in the system that at three o'clock in the afternoon, the California operator has to turn on between 15 and 20,000 megawatts of gas in order to make up the loss of solar that drops off and the sun uh, falls away. So speed is essential. Flexibility is essential. And the old equipment that had to, you had to, stop and dewater in order to switch uh, is not as useful as this equipment that we're putting into Gordon Butte um, that can move in seconds. It's that equipment set, uh, which is really just not, it's not cold fusion. It's just a way that we piped and um, arranged the hydraulic connection between the power plant and the lower reservoir. Um, that, uh, my little company in Montana won a national competitive award with, um, with the Department of Energy and, and National Renewable Energy Labs to look at that equipment and look at its ability to help shock absorb and stabilize the grid of the future that we're walking into where we've got these generation sources that kick on and off very quickly. Okay, you talked a lot about the equipment set. Uh, can you can you also talk about the engineering magic kind of this the, the proposed site at Gordon Butte? Well, it's people um, ask us a, a lot about how we do site selection, and uh, I'm, I'm I would tell you we don't have some large AI uh, based computer uh, looking for sites. We really uh, we we try to apply some common sense. Um, Gordon Butte is, uh, is a very interesting and attractive site. Um, one, because the elevation gain happens very quickly. So we gain 1,000 feet of elevation um, by this very steep uh, attribute of Gordon Butte, and that allows us to put the upper and lower reservoir or very close uh, to one another and thus the penstock, the hydraulic, the buried hydraulic connection between the two reservoirs, which is estimated to be about 18 or 19 feet in diameter. So it's a very large tunnel. Um, that's rel relatively short because that elevation gain happens very quickly. Gordon Butte is also on a, a very large uh, private ranch. So it's private landowner. Um, it's also just a few miles from the coal strip line, which is one of the largest transmission lines in the country and a, certainly a backbone uh, to the northwestern grid. Mm -hmm. It's also, from a marketing perspective, very interesting because when we connect into the coal strip line at the back of the project, um, we, we enter the networks of the major northwestern utilities. So that's uh, Puget, Portland General, Pacific Core, Vista, and Northwestern. All of those utilities in the Northwest are looking at 
uh, capacity deficits in the future. They're all trying to find ways to uh, regulate and integrate uh, renewable generation, which means they need this shock absorber capability. Um, so that was very interesting from a marketing perspective. And then uh, we're very uh, close uh, to a drainage out of the north end of the crazies where we uh, fill our closed system. Now, we only need a few days of filling it once a year to top off for evaporation. Our first uh, fill takes 35 days uh, to accomplish. And then again, we're just uh, topping off, but the water was very close by. Um, and we were able to work out an arrangement with the water users to take water during the spring runoff. So we weren't competing with uh, people that were trying to irrigate. And, and all of that created this sort of magical cocktail uh, that is Gordon Butte and uh, the development that we've put together there. Interesting. Are there any other uh, magical cocktails around uh, in, in our area that could uh, um, could be paired with this battery project? Have you been analyzing other sites or? Well, <clears throat> it's public record. We we have permitted with FERC a site about ten miles to the east of Gordon Butte. Um, it's another volcanic geologic feature that's uh, very much like uh, the the feature at Gordon Butte, it's, uh, it's just south of the town of Two Dot. Uh, we also have one permitted uh, just east of Casper, Wyoming. Um, and uh, those are two very good sites, uh, very um, clean sites. Uh, and um, we're starting the process of developing those, though most of our focus at this point is just trying to get Gordon Butte kind of finished and, and under construction. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I uh, felt weird about asking you because you haven't uh, the first one hasn't been completed yet. But uh, you know, I, at four hundred megawatts, uh, I was just curious if uh, there are more projects coming online and 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 could you know people could be aware of. Yeah, so. the the two dot site is smaller. That one will probably be about two fifty or two sixty megawatts um, with a eight to eight, nine hours of storage. Uh, the one in Casper's 400 megawatts, um, eight to nine hours of storage. And we'll, and we'll be deploying the relationships and work that we've already, you know, accomplished with uh, General Electric and utilities and ANREL and Department of Energy um, to put this very fast acting equipment in those facilities uh, when we get uh, into developing those sites. But again, we're, at this point, we're just, We've been working for a long time on Gordon Butte. We're trying to get it finished, and we want to get it under construction. Mm, okay, okay. All right, Carl. What are the most jaw-dropping stats about about your project? Well, I think there's this one. I'll just rest on this. This will be the largest civil project in Montana history. And when it's in the ground and you drive by it, unless you're flying over it with a airplane or helicopter, you won't even know anything's there. Uh, the powerhouse is a football field and a half dropped 200 feet in the ground. Uh, the penstocks, 19 feet, call it in diameter, that's buried in the ground. Um, by the time we're done, you won't see the upper reservoir, you won't see the lower reservoir. That billion-dollar oh, wow. project will be will be buried in the ground and 
squirreled away. (laughs) (laughs) I tell everybody that helps us that I'm throwing a massive party before we set the equipment uh, down on the floor of the powerhouse. That'll be 200 feet down. Um, So you guys might need to come to that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll be there, man. It's going to be a barn burner. (laughs) 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 After all these years, I'm cutting loose. <laughs> so, so Carl, uh, pro- projects like yeah. projects like this seem like the best way to, you know, just have reliable energy 100% of the time without fossil fuels. Um, so, have you talked, had a chance to talk to the PSC or their staff about the Gordon Butte yet? And like, what what has their response been to to this project? I've talked to them a lot. The thing that I talk about, really, the two things that I focus on with the utilities and the commissions. The first thing is, um, this is really the low-cost alternative uh, to providing this capacity. For the same price as what we're all paying for that gas plant in Anaconda, Mm -hmm. I can basically provide twice, more than twice the capacity um, and move very, very quickly without any need to burn gas or, you know, have the sort of maintenance problems that have gone along with basically taking the jet engine and revving it up and down every four seconds. That is something I can do with Gordon Butte effortlessly. Hmm. From a battery perspective, again, let me take you back to the Tesla comparison to, to create an equivalent Tesla power plant would be a billion six instead of a billion. And then if you're cycling it up and down, those batteries just wear out and you have to start over. So it's another billion six in five, six, seven, uh, ten years. That's a lot of money. Um, the benefit of batteries is that they're easy to deploy. They're easier to deploy. I mean, it is a, it is a difficult proposition to do the engineering, permitting, studies, all of the things that we've had to do to get Gordon Butte ready to go in the ground. Uh, it's a lot of work, but um, it is the robust, reliable, predictable uh, storage uh, medium uh, for the utilities. And that's the, when I talk to utilities and talk to commissions and commissioners, that's uh, the thing I'm focused on because, you know, I, I actually, I can actually articulate and have had, by the way, I've had, you know, third-party consultants and engineers and experts, basically, including uh, the Department of Energy, analyze all of this uh, for us. So it's not just, you know, something I'm saying. It's it's supported with documentation and, and references. But, uh, you know, it, it's really something to be able to do something that's so robust and clean and support the integration of very cheap, very clean a renewable power uh, in a predictable way. I can't tell you how proud I am of my little team and what we're trying to do of uh, getting this massive, this is a massive battery, 3,200 plus megawatt hours a day is what we can store. So it's just, it's huge. Back to the PSC commissioners and the staff that you talked to at length, uh, what, 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 have, what have their responses been? Well, I think... You know, one thing in defense of everybody, let me just say, making a change like this to the grid is is hard. People get used to doing a, doing business a particular way, and 
this is a whole different way of operating the grid. It's a whole different way of thinking about how to manage our transmission. And it's such a delicate instrument, the grid. We just don't realize how, you know, how careful we have to be when we make a change. So that's, in defense of everybody, that's part of what's going on. And I think over time we've, you know, we've moved the needle uh, slowly, but we're, we seem to be moving it. And I'd like to think that uh, very soon we will uh, have essentially tenants uh, for our building, uh, you know, utilities that will use this capacity and, and that's sort of the last step. And, and we're trying to get through that right now and get those things put together so we can, so we can build the thing. Um, but you know, it, it, building a gas plant's easy. Um, yeah. Bolt the thing on a concrete pad and plug it in and, you know, start burning something. That's, that's a lot easier than, than this, but uh, this is the world that we're walking into. And, and I think people are starting to realize even in Montana and Wyoming and uh, places where there's been a lot of historical uh, utilization of coal and, and gas, wow. uh, that this is, this is the world we're walking into. And certainly our cut, by the way, we're a, obviously an exporter of energy. Um, our customers on the West Coast have all passed legislation basically mandating that those utilities get out of coal um, and get into renewables. And that's, it, I often say to people, you know, we used to build Studebakers. Nobody wants our Studebakers anymore. We need to learn how to build a Prius and just, you know, buckle down and get, get that job done. And oh, by the way, here's the benefit: it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Which is this is. And by the way, this is a, this is probably an important point. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think Wall Street. Uh, you wouldn't think of them as a bunch of tree huggers. They're not, but they are experts at managing risk, and they see a lot of risk uh, associated now with fossil fuel and coal, and they're just not investing in it. And if they're just period, they're just not investing in it. Well, we, we, we have so you a, can't find any money. You, I mean, we can ride what we've got until they're worn out, but uh, I don't think we're going to be doing, there's no money to do anything new because um, renewables are just too cheap. Nobody's going to spend more money to burn coal than uh, putting, you know, batteries and renewable generation together to create the alternative. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And so this, it's coming. This change is coming. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a lot of questions to that effect. Uh, uh, we really want to talk about the costs and risks associated with development of, of new gas in the 2019 uh, procurement plan and, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But uh, real quick, while we're, while we're talking about the PSC and, uh, uh, and utilities, um, uh, you know, we went through Absorca Energy's project documents, and it's, it's really clear that you've jumped through many hoops to get, get the, the ball moving and keep it moving. Um, going through water and land regulations and, and, and considerations of, of the nearby town of Martinsdale. And, uh, and so, so after all those hoops, uh, we kind of wanted to know is, is, uh, is contracting with the utilities like, uh, in the Pacific Northwest in Montana, is that, is that, is that the biggest hurdle of all out of all that or the last year? That's the last hurdle. Yeah. Oh, okay. the last thing we're, we're, we're permit ready. We've are engineered, uh, we're ready to go. 
This okay. thing is ready to go under construction. So, so, so how do utilities weigh in at this point, and what role do the, does the PSC you know, have in, in whether Gordon Butte and projects like it get built? Well, I mean, the PSC, as you, you guys know, uh, rate bases activity by the utilities, and so the utilities need their blessing in order to, you know, uh, participate in these kinds of projects. Um you know, we need a long-term PPA in order to attract the financing, the billion-dollar financing we need to build the thing. Um, so uh, we need the utilities to work with us. Um, we need the um, commissions to work with us. And really, the honestly, I think the hardest part of let's compare Gordon Butte to a battery, um, the hardest part is we're a big project. I mean, we don't fit very well into a 50 megawatt RFP for flexible capacity, let's say, right? We have to build at 400 megawatts. That's what we've designed. That's what we had licensed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. We don't have the capability to scale that up or down. It is what it is. Um, And so to get the utilities to get off of their RFP thinking and um, actually uh, look at a project like this and sit down and, and put an arrangement and partnership together. It's just more complicated than it would be if you are putting a turbine in the ground or putting a solar panel up. Um, it's just a bigger, more complicated beast than that. Um, so that's a challenge uh, for us. Um, but the benefit is, you know, you get an asset that is cheap and predictable and um, that you can count on. Um, and again, for the utilities, that's that's an important attribute. The utilities that we're talking to um, are not enamored with batteries. Uh, batteries are catching on fire. Um, despite the fact that they're cheap, they tend to wear out very quickly. They wear out um, sometimes without a predictable sort of uh, view or, or from a planning perspective. And of course, if they just... Once they wear out, you got to. I mean, you, just, you have to have it. So um, that that has all been happening, and and has shifted over the last few years. I would have said two or three years ago that gas was our biggest comp- competition for providing the regulation service that we're trying to uh, meet. Uh, then it became batteries, and now uh, both gas and batteries, for various reasons, are struggling. Um, you're going to see, and the utilities are just getting more interested in pump storage and this new generation of pump storage um, in order to solve these uh, integration and regulation problems. Oh, it's really good to hear your optimism. Mm-hmm. It's coming. I just have to, you know, keep putting bricks in the wall. <laughs> right. Sometimes it feels a lot like, you know, two bricks in, one brick out uh, sort of thing. Um, but, you know, at this point, I'm on the job. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere until I get to have that party at the bottom of the power Right, house. right, yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Everybody's stuck with me. I'm going to keep yammering at them until, they, until I get the job done. <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll still have your black hair by by the, by the end of this. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> What's your next question, Dan? Um, yeah, so yeah, so like it looks like from the cost effectiveness to the reliability to the the cleaner and so on and so forth, this is the right way to go is with hydro pump storage. But when we're looking at Northwestern Energy's 20-year procurement plan that they released, it just isn't looking good for renewable energy and and no mention of hydro storage projects that they're going to follow through with. So what, I, we're, I guess we're wondering what your biggest critiques of their procurement plan are and um, why are they not jumping on this cost-effective, reliable uh, hydro storage pump? I, I can't tell you exactly why. I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can speculate, and I'll try to speculate in a uh, in a way that's, you know, it's uh, because they're a utility that I want to work with, uh, and I, I want. I've, you know, in many ways, this project is perfect for them, perfect for their system. Right. Um, but they're they're used to. And for a long time, they've solved their um, needs with gas. And a little ways back, maybe five minutes back, one of you uh, asked a question about the problem that I see with developing gas or the, their plan. And by the way, we filed extensive comments. If you haven't seen those, they're a public record. I'll be happy to email them to you. Okay. Um, we spread them around to everybody. And you will find us trying to be gracious, you know, agreeing with the stuff we can agree with, uh, politely disagreeing with things we disagree with. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the problems we point out with gas development, besides the cost and the risk uh, of the environmental uh, issue that Wall Street's paying attention to, and, you know, any gas plant we're going to put in the ground is going to cost you a lot because the money's going to cost you a lot. And it's, mm-hmm. it's unclear what that extra uplift will be to manage that risk on the financing side. But, you know, the other thing is you got to build more pipelines. And any linear facility development, whether it's electrical wires or gas pipelines, is just becoming really, really difficult and risky to accomplish. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we're our entire project, including the transmission of the connection back to the coal strip lines, all managing the FERC uh, process, we're done. We're ready to connect to the grid. All of that work is finished. We don't have to go for a separate process to connect the pump storage to the grid. We've already accomplished all that. So, right. So it sounds like there's like some unanalyzed costs for the natural gas um, in their plan. Uh, do you have I any other there is. Uh, any, any other comments on on that? It's just that again, um, you know, I, I, and again, I'll ha- I'll be happy to send these to you. Uh, right. I'll try to keep keep it at a high level here, um, because we have outside experts that have analyzed this and put all of that documentation into our comments. But again. If you think about a gas plant, they're regulating every four seconds with a gas plant, let's say, or a coal plant. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, that if the gas plant's 100 megawatts, in order to regulate with that, they have to turn the gas plant on and hit a minimum, what's called a minimum set point. So just to have it available, it has to sit there at idle burning gas. 
and that um, really gives them the capability to regulate between the minimum set point and the 100 megawatt maximum. So mm-hmm. Gordon B is different than that because we can sit at zero and not do anything, and we can move down and store energy. We can move up to produce energy. And so just from a capacity standpoint, just from the ability to move, we can move twice as far as they can, not even counting for the minimum set point, if that makes any sense. So um, for the same price as what we're, again, for what we're paying for a megawatt of capacity Mm -hmm. in that gas plant, we really can create two megawatts of capacity in the Gordon Butte project. Now we've never thought about storage yeah, wow. that way because we're not, we're dealing with a world that even guys, even three years ago, we didn't know, we didn't foresee. I mean, it's moving so quickly and so fast. And if I had any luck in this, it was, um, it was the naivete of my first, my, one of my clients got me involved in wind development. And I'll be honest with you, my reaction was when the client asked me to get involved, my reaction was, I don't know how the lights go on. Are you sure you want me to do this? Uh, but there was that naivete was really, I think, a benefit to me because I didn't understand anything about the grid. And so I had to start from scratch. And when I saw how quickly wind would trip on and off, I realized that at some point we were going to need this really robust storage to be a part of this. And of course I didn't have to go far from a precedent point of view. Um, thinking like a lawyer, I just went to Europe and started paying attention to what they were doing as they were increasing their renewable penetration and, you know, finding ways to manage it. So, um, mm-hmm. so the world is moving quickly uh, I've just got lucky and had an instinct that this was going to be important and started working on it eight years ago. And, uh, and you know, here we are sort of just at the right place at the right time with this massive battery. Um, but it's going to be, it's you know, we're going to need this for the world we're walking into. We're not going to pay more right. money to burn coal and gas. I think those days are, are, moving so we're moving away from that quickly northwestern hasn't yet uh but i know they're thinking about it and i know they're trying to figure out what to do and and again i i want to be graceful and gentle uh because i want them to move towards this project uh and see the benefits and uh, uh, opportunities for the state um in moving in this direction again we're an energy net energy exporter and our customers want clean electrons. So that's what we need to produce. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, we want to be very uh, sensitive to the idea that, uh, that you're talking about these issues in relation to Northwestern energy and, and uh, you, you, you have, you know, back, back, you have meetings with them all the time, I'm sure. And, uh, and so, yeah, so, so just to, kind of uh uh temper this conversation a little bit um um we wanted to ask you about uh about what the what impact this would have for integration of renewables um for for a company like northwestern energy 
you know, renewables we hear all the time, like wind farms are producing some of the cheapest energy available right now. But can you can you walk us through what this does for uh, allowing more of those renewables to to actually be used so that the wind that's blowing is actually um, powering homes? You know what I mean? Yeah. So let me take you back to our to our first our first the first question. And let me, just to make things more dramatic, let's go to California because <laughs> we're connected to that grid. It's, it's a relevant data point, right? And California's ahead of us. They're interconnecting a lot more, in particular, solar into their system. Um, they're shutting down nuclear. They're shutting down their big coal plants. Um, and the grid operator is seeing these three to 5,000 megawatt swings. Now, that is just scary from an operation standpoint, right? Let me give you, I'll I'll give you a a, a sort of metaphor story uh, that that the grid grid operator from California that I was on a panel with uh, at HydroVision told this, he told this, this, tells the story to his teenage son this way. He says, before renewables, uh, as the operator, I would be driving at highway speed down a highway that was straight. And every four seconds, I'd be able to open my eyes and make a course correction on that highway. But basically, the the highway was straight. So I wasn't going to be too far off every four seconds, right? Now, with renewables taking over from thermal generation and nuclear, um, I'm opening my eyes every four seconds to make an adjustment, but the highway is starting to curve incurred very dramatic and that is for an operator is a very scary thing because they have to keep that system in balance for fear that they will trip it off and then this cascading blackout thing would happen mm-hmm. so again renewables clean free fuel uh but the the penalty for that the, the payment is that they trip on and off and we have to have something that you can shock absorb that with and that's what we're doing. We're just the shock absorber. We're not really producing electricity as much as making sure that the electricity that's coming into the system is reliable and and manageable so that you know we can keep the grid and the lights on. That's what we're doing. That's what a battery does. And do you think that it would be pretty easy for a company like Northwestern Energy to uh, to justify this sort of investment to their sh- their investors and shareholders? Do you, uh, you, you talked a little bit about Wall Street and their uh, acceptance of the of the project and uh, the technology? And I'm, I'm just curious. I do. Yeah. Okay. I do. I, I I think that there is Wall Street is sort of the canary in the coal mine because they're assessing risk. Um, and I think that, that this is the world that we're moving into. And, you know, whether it takes a day or a year or whatever it takes, uh, this is the direction that we're headed into. Mm-hmm. Was there any te- technical but, complaints? But by the way, let me, let me just say this. Oh, by yeah. the way, you know, uh, um, Northwestern is a publicly traded company. And I know they pay attention to legislators and consumers and uh, interested stakeholders. So anybody right. that's interested in, you know, supporting what we're trying to do, 
please get involved, right? Letters to the commission, uh, talk to your legislators, you know, talk to Northwestern. Um, you know, these are big changes, uh, and that would help, I think, provide some cover and support and justification for them to move in the direction we'd like them to move in. You're here. You're here. And elect the right people, too. <laughs> Vote for the right people. Yeah. Vote for people that are yeah. actually discussing batteries, I think, is a, is a good step as a, as a citizen, too, to, you know, get out the well, way. I have to say, uh, you know, being a member of the Public Service Commission is an incredibly technical and surprisingly important job in state. Mm-hmm. Hugely important. Um, this evolution is a, it's a massive change in our economic capability and outlook and uh, just, you know, what we're going to be able to do as the state of Montana. By the way, the, you know, the governor's walking into our office in 10 minutes. I'm going to have to get off the phone. And, you know, this is a continued message that I have uh, laid at his doorstep, which is, it's hugely important that we uh, skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. The right. puck is moving, and we got to skate towards it. We got to Wayne Gretzky this thing. We can't <laughs> be caught flat-footed, right? Yeah. Well, we've got one more question. Do you want to ask that last one, Dan? Uh, yeah. So we're curious if you've thought about how batteries and a smart grid. Um, could work together in this effort to you know make sure that we can get 100% renewable energy 100% of the time. And how do you imagine the grid of the future looking? Well, um, when you say smart grid, here's what I think about. Um, we've got to have things that we can turn on and off very quickly. I, mm-hmm. And let me just separate. Let me separate the smart grid from a microgrid. So a microgrid, I would say, is a isolated system that's, um, you know, may may or may not even be connected to the grid, but it's kind of trying to do its own thing. And I think those will be a little bit of the world we're walking into, but that's very expensive. And we have put so much money and effort into the grid that for most consumers, they can't afford to put solar panels on their roof or put a battery in their garage. Right. I, I guess when I'm is... saying smart grid, I'm, uh, I'm referring to like everybody having a meter at their house that, that reports back to the centralized system to where we can tell who's using what energy at what time of the day and then how to best integrate that with, with this hydro storage project. Um, when have I you seen that done when, in the past? When, when I, people have different, uh, you know, ways of, articulating what a smart grid is. When I think of a smart grid, I think of us having the ability for grid operators to control more of the generation and load because this generation load profile is moving around so much. And so Mm -hmm. as an example, if the grid operator can decide when your uh, dishwasher is going to run, right? Uh, to try to make it run at a time when it's convenient. Think about this. You certainly don't want things turning on from three to seven o'clock in the world that we're walking into, because that is a critical, crucial time where we're just, we don't have enough energy 
to make up for the solar drop off. So it's, it's time shifting our utilization of energy instead of just assuming we're just going to be able to turn things on whenever we want. That's, that's what the smart grid needs to me. And that's right. a difficult, I mean, that's going to be a difficult change for a home-based consumer to get in the habit of saying, I can only run the dryer from two to four o'clock in the morning, right? And the utility operator is going to decide when I get to turn my dryer on and off. I mean, that we haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, but we are looking at Absaroka Energy for resources on the demand side that we can uh, offer to the utilities uh, to turn on and off um, to sort of lighten and shift the load. I think that that's a that's low hanging fruit uh, for this additional renewable penetration and trying to manage the issues that come along with that. In addition to having a battery, mm, mm, um, interesting. That makes sense. It does, yeah, and yeah. and we'll have to have you on for a, <laughs> another interview, maybe just to talk about that. Uh, that sure, I can talk about this stuff. You know, from a, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I've gotten way past the uh, first pass, which was I don't know how the lights go on. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, had yeah. To, I've had to I've had to catch up quickly. <laughs> well, you've surpassed us all now. Uh, <laughs> well mm-hmm. done. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it, and and we'll let you yeah, jump you, on Carl. that other call for the day. All right, thank you. Thank you, Carl. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening to my little oh, spiel. Yeah. Really, pre- really appreciate it. You're welcome, Carl. All right, we'll talk to you in the future. All right. Okay. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye.